You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 40 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and happy spring, you guys. It might not, let's see, yeah, it is officially spring, right? It was officially spring two days ago, a few days ago, and I'm so excited it's here. And with the arrival of spring comes the planning of transplanting seedlings. Now, if you grew your own seedlings at home from seed for the first time this year, chances are you're probably pretty nervous about transplanting your seedlings. So this episode is going to make you feel a whole lot better, a whole lot more informed and ready to transplant those little plant babies outside. If you have transplanted seedlings outside before, but you've only done it a few times and you've always kind of wondered like, I don't know if I'm doing this right or I don't know if I'm doing this the best way that I could, you might learn a few things. So we are going to be covering that today in this episode, but first a word from our sponsor. So the reason why it is important to talk about transplanting and to kind of understand what you're doing through the various parts of the transplanting process is because seedlings, especially when they've spent their whole lives, and for most of us up to this point they have, except for the hardening off process, which we went through a few episodes ago, it can be very traumatic for seedlings. As I mentioned in the hardening off episode, up until this point, while you may have been exposing your seedlings to more and more environmental stress, their roots have been nice and comfy and undisturbed in their kind of seedling pots. Really haven't done anything to kind of stress them on that level. And if you remember from all the way back to episode two of the podcast, when I talked about plant science basics, roots are the kind of central nervous system of the plant. It's where a lot of different processes happen. And so when the roots are traumatized, the seedling can go into something called transplant shock. I know that that sounds really scary, but you should understand from the get-go that there is going to be a level of transplant shock for most transplanted seedlings, no matter how careful you are. It just kind of depends on the degree of transplant shock that your seedlings sustain and can live through. So the purpose of kind of a lot of these things that I'm going to talk about is to minimize transplant shock as much as possible. And then also getting your seedling up and going and growing again in as little time as possible. So that is the point of what we're talking about today. 
So I'm going to start by assuming that you have hardened off your seedlings, whether you followed kind of the process that I outlined a few episodes ago, or you kind of came up with your own process, or you followed somebody else's advice. My feelings aren't hurt. I understand that there's a lot of gardening advice out there. So either way, my assumption is that at this point, you have hardened off your seedlings. They have experienced outside temperatures a good deal. They have experienced wind currents. They have experienced direct sunlight, a whole day's worth, you know, and then the days leading up to that whole day's worth, little bits here and there to slowly acclimate them. So that's, that's, the first thing that I'm going to lay out there. If you haven't hardened off your seedlings, I would encourage you to definitely do that first. It's going to help you avoid a lot of problems. Now that we have that out of the way, the first thing that I want to talk about is the conditions that you should hopefully have outside on transplant day. I alluded to this in the hardening off episode, but if you didn't catch it there, you need to ideally be transplanting on a calm, cloudy day. So again, even though we have subjected our seedlings to wind currents and direct sunlight, we haven't disturbed the roots. Well, in the transplanting process, we're going to be disturbing the roots, right? We're going to be uplifting them, transplanting them in a brand new home, and the roots are kind of like going to wig out a little bit. They're going to panic and they're not going to know where their food comes from, where their water comes from, because they've been taken out of that nice, safe, familiar environment. And while they are recuperating and getting their bearings, we want to be stressing them in other ways as little as possible. So we don't want to be stressing them with a whole bunch of wind. We don't want to be stressing them with a whole bunch of direct sunlight or, you know, pounding rain, things like that. So I would urge you to look for a calm, cloudy day. If you don't have a calm, cloudy day in the forecast, not a big deal. You can still plant your seedlings. Just transplant them on a calm late afternoon slash early evening. So calm, they don't have any wind stress. Late afternoon, early evening, yeah, maybe the sun is still up in the sky, but it's not those direct, super strong sunbeams beating down on the plant. And then the seedling has like the whole overnight to sort of get used to its new home. So that's the kind of day or weather conditions you're going to want to be looking for when you go to transplant your seedling outside. The next thing to remember when transplanting is that we want to disturb the root ball as little as possible. So think about the plant's root ball, the seedling's root ball, almost like a security blanket, right? It's got all this like soil and fertilizers that you've been feeding it that are very familiar to the seedling. It knows where it's getting its food. It knows where it's getting its water. So we want to keep as much of that intact as possible when we go to transplant seedlings. That said, a lot of us, myself included, repot our seedlings, multiple little tiny seedlings in a bigger four inch pot when we go to repot them from the teeny tiny cells that we started them in. And so when you upend them out of that four inch pot, you're going to notice that like oh my gosh, all of their roots are totally tangled together and intertwined. How the heck are you going to go about not disturbing the root ball in that case? So what I typically do is I grab the outside edges of that pot-shaped ball of soil and I dig my thumbs into the center and I just pull that mass of soil and roots apart. So yes, you are breaking some roots 
in the center, but if you notice, there's a whole web of roots on the outside that you're not breaking, that you're not ripping up, that you're not really disturbing a whole bunch. So each plant, each seedling that you're left with is going to have its own at least portion of undisturbed roots and undisturbed seed starting soil. Don't worry about it too much. Be as gentle as you can and just know that this is something that a lot of gardeners have to do every year and their seedlings turn out just fine, myself included. The next thing we want to do in the transplant process is make sure that we are digging a big enough hole. I know a lot of people, again, myself included, when I first started gardening, that kind of thought, oh, well, I want my seedlings' new home to be nice and snug, and so I'm going to dig the hole exactly as big as this little portion of soil that the root ball is in. You actually want to dig the hole wider and deeper than that. So that kind of comes with it two different reasons. You want to dig the hole wider because that helps disturb the soil around that root ball. And disturbed soil is much, much easier for the roots to kind of test their way out and grow into and kind of find new avenues to get more food, more water, more oxygen. If that soil stays compacted because you only dug the hole just big enough for the little plug of soil that the root ball is in, then those roots are going to have a little harder time branching out into the soil. And this especially goes if you have heavier soil, if you have lots of clay content in your soil. On the other end of the spectrum, you're going to want to dig the hole deeper than that little ball of soil, that root ball, because we want to make sure that our plants have plenty of stem support. So again, a lot of us have a tendency to dig the hole only as deep as the root ball or only as deep as you know the seedling was in the container. And while yes, that's fine, probably it's not gonna hurt it a ton, you're kind of giving up an opportunity to hill up a little more soil around the stem and give it a little bit more support, especially when it comes to things like heavy wind or heavy rain or even animals kind of digging around and passing by and kind of knocking the plants about. This is also especially important for plants like broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, those brassicas that get really, really top heavy, the bigger they get, they need as much stem support as possible. So make sure that you're digging your transplanting hole wider than it needs to be and just a little bit deeper. I would say at least a half inch deeper than it needs to be, if not more like an inch, depending on the plant. You definitely don't need to go burying any any leaves and that goes for any plant. Don't bury any of the leaves, but you know, transplanting planting your seedling up to the first set of leaves is not a big deal. And for some plants like tomatoes, that buried section of stem will actually sprout more roots and just become more of a firm anchor for that plant. So it can be really beneficial. The next thing to remember when transplanting is that we want to make getting food as easy as possible. So there are going to be some things in the soil that your plant 
has never encountered before, especially if you have used sterile seed starting mix up until this point. All it knows is whatever trace minerals were in that seed starting mix and then whatever liquid organic fertilizer or other fertilizer that you have been feeding it. That's all it knows. So you want to make sure that Again, it's kind of like a security blanket or think of it like visiting a new city for the first time. You have no idea where the good restaurants are. You don't know if you're going to like the food served there. So a really good thing to help a seedling overcome initial transplant shock is to feed it with the same thing that you have been feeding it in your home nursery. So I mentioned before, fish emulsion is a really good option. Liquid kelp or liquid seaweed is is another great option. And you just want to make sure that you are diluting the fertilizer to the ratio that the bottle recommends. If you've been using liquid kelp or, or liquid fish emulsion this whole time to feed your seedlings and you've been diluting it, then you obviously know the game here. But even if you haven't been using it, just know that that is a really good thing to feed your plants at transplanting just because it's very easily taken up by the roots. So the roots can kind of go ahead and get along with the whole process of taking up nutrients and water as easily as possible. Next, I am going to tell you to do something that is a little counterintuitive, especially because I'm pretty sure I've made it a point several times when I talked about sowing seeds or starting a seedling nursery not to kind of pack that seed starting mix down. We actually want to press the soil down around the seedlings really pretty firmly after you backfill the holes. You know, take the pads of your fingers and your palms and just press really firmly around around the seedling. I know that might feel like you're being a little rough with it, but really you're not. What you're actually doing is you're pressing the roots in contact with the soil all around it. You're getting rid of a lot of the air pockets that might be left from, you know, having all that disturbed soil. And when the roots are in really good contact with the soil around it, it makes them feel safe. It lets them know that it's okay to grow out further, which we want them again to do as quickly as possible after transplanting. So make sure that you're pressing that dirt around that you backfilled into the hole nice and firm. The second to last thing I'm going to tell you is going to sound really, really counterintuitive and scary, but I mentioned in an Instagram post recently that, and by the way, if you're not following me on Instagram, you can find me there at, um, my handle is at B and Basil. It's all spelled out. I try my best to give a lot of kind of educational little tips and it's also kind of a way for me to show off the stuff that I'm doing in my garden and I'm growing something like I think I said in a recent Instagram post that I'm growing like uh, over 50 different things in my garden this year and it's the most ambitious garden I've I've ever had. I actually counted it counted it up and I think it's closer to 70 different vegetables, fruits, herbs and flowers. So there's a lot of ground for me to cover and as things start growing and sprouting, there's there's going to be a lot for me to post about. So a lot to follow there, but 
Anyway, I mentioned on Instagram recently that when we first start growing plants, we have a tendency to anthropomorphize them. And that's a fancy way of saying we have a tendency to treat them like humans. And that's why a lot of us are kind of squeamish about pruning. We feel like it's like cutting off the plant's arm or something like that, or a hand or something scary, and it's going to hurt it and the plant's never going to recover. But Plants behave on a cellular level very, very differently from humans, from animals, and pruning often is very helpful for plants. And the same goes for during transplanting, believe it or not. So the way it works is when you transplant your seedlings outside, again, the roots kind of panic and they don't know what to do. And all of a sudden there's all this stuff above the roots all these leaves that these roots like can't support because they're kind of in shock a little bit they've kind of been traumatized so by pruning when you transplant you're reducing the amount of leaves the amount of biomass that those roots have to support it's kind of bringing those roots and those leaves into balance and making sure that there isn't more leaves than, than the roots can feasibly support, especially when they're kind of just figuring out their new environment. So again, sounds scary, but I would encourage you to prune a few leaves off of your seedlings when you transplant them. Don't go crazy. I would say, especially when transplanting, usually I say the rule of thumb is to prune off no more than a third of my plant, but I would say when transplanting, just to be safe, don't prune off more than like a quarter of, of the leaves. So if you're say planting a broccoli seedling, and it's got four true leaves on it. You know, don't prune off any more than than one. If you're transplanting a spinach seedling and it's got eight true leaves on it, don't prune off any more than two. It, this is just going to ensure that that we're not taking too much off the top and that you know, we're being balanced. Once you become a little bit more familiar and a little bit more comfortable with pruning and you feel like you kind of instinctually know how much a plant can lose and where to cut that's not going to damage the plant's ability then to to grow new shoots and, and leaves and things like that, feel free to do more like a third. That's kind of more what I do myself these days now that I'm much more comfortable with pruning but if it scares you, if you're not sure about it, you know, go with that pruning off a quarter. The last thing I would recommend is kind of tucking your seedlings in nice and cozy with mulch. So I know, especially this time of year in March, for some of us, we could still have a freak frost or a little bit of snowfall or something like that. And, you know, you worry about your broccoli or your spinach, the things that you have planted outside. But if they have a nice, comfy, thick kind of blanket of mulch around them, it's going to keep, it's going to serve two purposes, really. It's going to 
keep the soil from drying out and it's also going to protect the plant and the soil from the worst of the cold if a frost does happen to move through. So that's that's kind of something really important to to make sure you remember. Also, just kidding, that wasn't the last thing. This is the last thing. Make sure that the soil around your seedling is consistently damp. So I would say for the first week after you transplant your seedling, go out, check the soil moisture around your seedling, and if needed, water it. And if that means that you're watering every day to make sure the soil stays damp, then water every day. Now there's a difference between damp and soggy. So we want damp like a sponge would be damp. We don't want soggy like you could squeeze the sponge or you could squeeze the dirt and like a whole bunch of water would come streaming out of it. We just want it damp to the point where if you squeezed it like you would get, you know, a few drops because it, it is possible to overwater your seedlings because the roots, I mean, if they're if they're traumatized and they're not taking up water very well and they're kind of just sitting there and then you just super soggify the soil, that's not a word, but I'm going to pretend it is. If you make the soil super soggy and you overwater and the roots aren't doing anything with all that water, then the roots will start to rot. So we definitely just want to make sure that the soil is damp, not soggy. If you need to use your fingers and feel around in the soil, please don't worry about getting your hands dirty. You can wash them later. Make sure you, you know, you use your touch. It's a very important sense when gardening and go ahead and check out the moisture level. I want to end by giving a shout out to a new follower of mine, both on the podcast and on Instagram. And she reached out to me and asked me what we can do, especially when container gardening, to support our local bee and monarch populations. I love that question because more and more in my gardening, I am concerned with that. I think I talk about it on my blog a little bit, but my grandpa was actually a beekeeper, and so bees have a very special place in my heart. And I've always tried from day one to make sure I plant at least some flowers in my garden and dedicate some space to that. But if this is something that you are thinking about and wanting to do, especially this year as we go into the growing season, it's the perfect time to plant new things. For monarchs, milkweed is going to be what you want to grow. It's the only thing that their caterpillars will eat, and so it's the only thing that monarchs will lay their eggs on. There are lots of different varieties that are suited for lots of different places, so just kind of look up. Maybe there's a nursery near you that you can buy a milkweed plant from. But I I would definitely say if you're wanting to support monarch butterflies in particular, milkweed, definitely no other. That's that's what you need to be growing. Because a lot of native environments that grew milkweed have kind of been wiped out by, you know, land development and buildings being built. And as, as the human population increases, a lot of natural habitats for insects and animals decrease. And, and that's just one of them. For bees... I recommend borage. Um, That's spelled B-O-R-A-G-E. It is an amazing plant. It grows like crazy. It grows like a weed and it flowers like crazy into these gorgeous bluish purple star-shaped 
blossoms that bees absolutely go bonkers for. And it just not really that picky about the soil that it's grown in. It can get kind of big though, and it can overwhelm other plants. So make sure that you keep an eye on it, that you prune it back if needed. It's such a strong, determined grower, though, that you're not going to hurt it by pruning it. Trust me. I will say a little watch out. It does self-seed very, very easily. So if you're concerned about it sowing and spreading, you know, just make sure that you you watch out for that. It's really, really easy, though, to just pluck the, the newly germinated seeds out of the soil. When they germinate, they put up these very obvious, big, round, leaves. They look a lot like new cucumber leaves, actually. Um, So they're very easy to to spot and and very easily to just like take out of the soil. But bees absolutely love borage. They flock around it like crazy. And that's the plant that I would recommend for attracting bees or supporting your local bee population. So thank you so much for that question. And again, that's another reason to follow me on Instagram is you can reach out there and and ask me questions. And as I have time, again, I have a full-time job. This is really just a huge passion of mine. But as I have time, I will do my best to answer questions that you have. So thank you so very much for listening in today. I will be back in the very next episode to talk about figuring out what the best trellis is for various plants in your garden and why you should be growing vertically in a lot of cases, how growing vertically can be very beneficial and very space savings and what plants you should be trying to grow vertically if you aren't already. So I'm going to be covering all of that in the next episode. But until then, I hope your gardens are growing rather lovely and I will see you then. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.